Hello, you're listening to a Zen Studies Society podcast. To learn more about our community of Zen Buddhist practitioners, please visit zenstudies.org. Shumon Katoshu, Entangling Vines, Case 27. Manora, the 22nd Indian ancestor, said in his transmission verse, the mind turns with its surroundings, a turning that is truly profound. Perceive mind's nature within this flow, and there is neither joy nor sorrow. Hobo Kokubun commented on this verse saying, it is like this, yet it isn't like this. Here is the cup that gives you the freedom to move about. Sometimes in these Zoom settings, we forget that there needs to be time to adjust your limbs and sitting for a long time can be quite painful. And if I can do anything to let it not come to that point, Here we are together in this harvest session. And I bet that our overall collective spirits are quite different than they were two weeks ago, even different than just a week ago. 2020 will probably go into our personal Zen history as a Keisaku year that gave us some pretty good wax. But as we know from our practice and from hopefully having somebody in charge of that Keisaku who knows how to use it, the sting turns into relief. And that what appeared to be stuck gets unstuck. We might have found ourselves in the mindset that we have very little influence on what is happening. 
It is out of our control. Feeling that way, powerless, we stew, trying to do something about it. But if you look back at what has happened since just the beginning of this pandemic, we have seen action and people in the streets at first truly upset with what is truly upsetting. And at last, truly elated by what happened after. And how it often goes, the koans that appear at this time fit very well into what is happening. And if not, then it would be my job to make it fit. This is the great secret that is no secret. Whatever life presents to us, there is really no Let's see if we can find a good word for it. There's really no way to not just face it. Here it is right in front of us. And what our practice teaches us is that it is not us trying to control what is being presented to us, what appears, it's not even being presented. There's nothing passive about it. What unfolds right here and now in front of us, in us, we unfold. There is really no choice we have in what that is, but how we meet it is most important. Sometimes in the Dharma conversations I have with you, I get to the point to say, this world of the human beings, this world of the human mind is in essence, a broken world. And of course, when we think broken, we think it is not good but it is the broken world of differentiation. The existence of subjects and objects is a split of that oneness, of that nonness of zero. It's a split that makes distance appear. And that distance is what we live in. without light and shadow, without object and subject, this experience would be pretty boring. 
you can imagine it as either eternal bliss or eternal damnation. Whatever label you would want to put on it, maybe none would stick and there's nobody to stick any label. But by the breaking up of this root source into this world of the 10,000 things, we have the ability to see each other, to hear each other, to feel, to think. So brokenness, differentiation, not in a judgmental way, but in a wonderful spectrum of all the colors, from the darkest black to the brightest white with all colors in between. And of course, living in that spectrum, we live in the dimensions that are present right here and now. By liking red, by affirming this, since there is a that that is not affirmed, we leave out. That is how the human existence plays out in this world. One word, already looking at this koan, Manora Sanja, the 22nd Indian ancestor, wrote this verse after his awakening. And it's called the transmission verse. So transmission is an interesting point to think about. Especially here in the Zen lineage, the question is, here we are and every evening in the formal practice, we recite 80 plus names of generations of individuals who have transmitted this teaching. Yet transmission means something else too. Here today in the United States, we find ourselves in a state of unabated transmission. Unabated transmission of the novel coronavirus. Official reporting in excess of 170,000 cases yesterday. Unabated means there's nothing that is being done to stop it. And I would like to take this time to ask all of you together with me to send out our good nen to all those individuals who are affected by this virus, who find themselves sick, who find themselves in the hospital, who might even be put in a coma in order to make them survive 
one especially, we have a Dharma brother, Joriki Baker, which who you might know from, Mount, from the mountain Zendo, from Daibosatsu Zendo, and he is in the hospital. So I send him and everybody who is affected by this terrible transmission today, my best then for quick and complete recovery. So, Manora Sanja, the 22nd ancestor in India. He succeeded his teacher, Vasubandhu, who we know in our Japanese pronunciation as Bashubanzu Sanja. Manura was a monk of the Nadi kingdom in India around the fourth or fifth century common time. According to a history of the Buddha's successors, you know, he was born as a crown prince in that kingdom of Nadi. But even as a child, he kept away and did not play with the other children. He preferred to be by himself and reflect. When he grew up, he renounced secular life and studied Buddhism under Vasubandhu. He was very well versed in the three different types of teachings at the time and his writings Vasubandhu's writings here were very influential for the development of various kinds of Buddhist doctrine. So learning from such a teacher, Manura also was very well educated. After his awakening, he taught mainly in Southern India and there are many different ways of describing his life and some people make a point out of it that he refuted this doctrine and he promoted that doctrine. But from the point of view of living Buddhism, that is probably a historic description of what he might have done. But he lived it. He lived his understanding. So one day Manura asked Bashubanzu, what is the Bodhi of all Buddhas? The teacher said, it is the original nature of mind. Manura asked it again, what is the original nature of mind? The teacher said, it is the emptiness of the six sense bases, the six objects and the six kinds of consciousness. Hearing this, Manura was awakened. 
It seems so easy. Just a few words and people awake. Here we come back to conditions. What are conditions? And when we began this session together, I spoke a little bit about harvest and giving an exhortation to look at ourselves as the fruit that is giving itself to be harvested, to mature, to engage in that process of becoming full, of becoming ripe. Our practice might make us think at times that maturation is not just a process, but that there is a specific level to be met, that there's a specific achievement that can be achieved. But we learn that is not true. Maturity only manifests again at this very point of meeting what is unfolding. Conditions are unfolding. The law, the Dharma of causation, of cause and effect. If we look at ourselves from the point of view of the material, this is genetic material that unfolds. It is conditions that appear manifest in a physical sense. It's a very important teaching. Conditions manifest in the physical sense is our body. Not only our body, but that what we call the surroundings, the 10,000 things. Conditions as manifest in genetic code. Conditions as manifest in crystalline structure in chains of atoms, of molecules, in waves of energy, of light, of sound, of all kinds of waves. Sometimes when we abstract it, we call it information. Information that is stored in the genetic code and it unfolds through the wondrous activity of dharma just the information is not it in this world it unfolds it is really a wonderful teaching to become aware of it and reminding myself of what my ordination teacher, Joshua Roshi, always used to say about this activity of Dharma is Ishi Yokyu Nashi. It works without will and desire. 
the genetic material that unfolded as you unfolded without will and desire even though our mind might have an idea of will and desire the genetic material of the novel coronavirus unfolds without will and desire and now we can see how important relationship is when that novel coronavirus makes relationship with that genetic material that unfolded as a human being. We call it sickness. When the contributions of a human male and a human female come together and create another human being, it is conditions unfolding without will and desire. So this is the context where we find ourselves. We see the manifestations of the activity of Dharma in the minutest movements of particles that we theorize about in quantum physics. We see it in the mountains that we climb, the mountains that have risen over millions of years. And if we go even further out, planets, galaxies, universes, conditions unfolding through the activity of Dharma. So in this context, we have Manura Sanja sharing with us the understanding of awakening. The mind turns with its surroundings, a turning that is truly profound. Truly profound translates also sometimes as dark, silent, mysterious, not obvious. What it also means is the 10,000 things. That is the surroundings. Arise together with the breaking up, with the coming forth of distance. Our mind breaks forth with the separation of subject and object. Let me put it in another way, too. 
the heart follows the 10,000 things and is able to transform itself in any place. It's a more literal translation of what Manura says in the first two lines of his awakening verse. Those who I've spoken to recently might know that I like to talk about shape-shifting. We are shape-shifters. Our self unfolds in the activity that is called forth by the unfolding of now, of this. When we wake up in the morning and we get up, we open our eyes, we shift shape from a sleeper into an awakened person. There it is, awakening. Did you catch it this morning? Well, maybe we need to pay a little more attention how we awake every morning. Is it an awakening into a stale old self? And this is the tricky part sometimes. The stale old self is also like something that's sleeping in a pretty small bedroom and it wakes up in the morning and breathes the same stale air that had been in that room for a long time. Have you ever entered the bedroom of somebody and you took a good breath and you felt, oh, this is really stale. Let's open the windows. How do we open the windows? For windows, we need holes in that stale container of a self. And sitting down in Zazen is one of the ways to let the light in. And sometimes, now of course I have to point to our good friend Leonard Cohen, it's not a window. It might be a crack. There's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. Brokenness, not as a bad thing. The verse continues. Perceive mind's nature with its flow. And there is neither joy nor sorrow. Flow. As expressed in the shape-shifting metaphor. Non-attachment. Some things at times have to be said about it to make it clear what this person understands with non-attachment, what it means, what attachment means, and how I see it in this context. Attachment sometimes is also like brokenness, inherently seen 
as something that is negative. In my experience, in, in the way it illuminates to me is that attachment is nothing else than making relationship. See, when I, I want to pick this fan up, I have to make the relationship that brings me and the fan together. So in order to lift it up, I have to attach to it. So I have to grasp. I have to initiate the relationship, receive the fan. And then we'll use it. And then when it's time to let go, we put it down. However, here's what attachment is. If I grasp onto something and I become unable, unwilling to let go, we have stuck relationship, relationship that has lost its core. And what is the core of relationship? What did Manura just tell us? It is the flow. It's the dynamic element that needs to be in relationship. If it gets to a stasis, stuck, I'm stuck with this here now. And then is there, if there's something else that I pick up and make another attachment and I can't get rid of this or that, you can't imagine how much we carry around. It's not very easy to eat soup with the fan. So you can imagine how debilitating this is for the flow, stuck relationship. So letting go, giving away. Remember Rinzai always speaks about holding fast and letting go. Two aspects of relationship. Perceive your mind's nature within this flow, within the dynamic element. And there's neither joy nor sorrow. Perceive the breath's nature within this flow. And there is neither inhalation nor exhalation. Just saying this, I hope, gives you a different flavor of the expression. Because even though in our breath, inhalation and exhalation might occur from an objective point of view, it is neither this nor that. It is the very act of the activity of Dharma unfolding, also unabated, in this case, unabated by a willful existence of a fixated point of view. The mind flows with the 10,000 things in this world. 
Mind means mind heart. Kokoro, Shin, the core of our existence. I'll read the whole thing once again. The mind turns with its surroundings, a turning that is truly profound. Perceive mind's nature within this flow, and there is neither joy nor sorrow. Our koan continues. It speaks about Hobo Kokubon, who commented on this verse. And he said, it's like this, yet it isn't like this. Who is Hobo Kokubon? Let's see. Hobo Kokubon is one of the three names that were given to the same person. Kokubun is the common name that appears in all three versions of his name. Shinjo Kokubon or, or Rokutan Kokubun or Hobo Kokubun. It's all the same person. And he lived from 1025 until 1102. He appears in four cases in Entangling Vines, the Shumon Katoshu. Of course, he lived in China, in the province that presently is called Henan. He was extremely bright as a child. And his father sent him away to study. First of all, because he was bright, but also because he had remarried and apparently the child did not get along so well with his stepmother. Later, the boy went to Fuzhou, which is the modern Hubei province. And he began studying under a priest whose sermons he had heard of. And when he heard them in person, impressed him deeply. It was from that priest that he received the name Kokubun. Kokubun, the kanji, the first kanji, koku, is, it means to overcome, to get beyond, to win, to gain victory. And the bun is the same as in, in nenge, to twirl, Nenge is the twirling of the flower that the Buddha and Mahakasyapa. So the twirling to twist, to wrench, to turn, even in modern Japanese, the character is used when you turn off the light switch. At age 25, Kokubun was ordained and he received the precepts. At first, since he was so bright, of course, we know it's a common story in that time and of many of these Zen ancestors. 
he studied the scriptures, sutras, treatises. But then when he learned of Zen, he traveled south and in the year 1065 spent a kese at a training monastery on Mount Daigu. While he was there, he heard a story of the official who said to Umon Bunen the following, the Buddha Dharma is like the moon in the water, isn't it? Umon replied, no traces remain in clear water. At this, Kokubun had a deep insight. He later went on studying and became a successor to Oryo Enan. He resided at a large number of temples, 12 years here, 10 years there, and ended up retiring into a hermitage that was called the Snow Hut, Snow Hermitage. And it, there he passed away, but he had left 38 Dharma successes. So Hobukokuban, here's a quote of his that I would like to read to you. These days, many people seek the branch and reject the root. If not for Bodhidharma coming from the West, there'd be no Zen to be passed on. It was all for the sake of beings to individually realize their own self nature, their own Buddha nature, for beings to personally bring forth the entire Buddha Dharma. Moreover, it was for the transformation of the universal spirit whereby all beings are seen to be in themselves complete and perfect and without the need to falsely seek anything outside of themselves. How could this be? Haven't we just heard that everything is broken? So what did he say, Hobo Kokubun? It is like this, yet it is not like this. Literally, if you look at the characters and you were to translate them individually, you could also say, it is truly inconceivable yet not inconceivable. In other words, it may be so or not. This is very similar or falls into the same kind of flavor that we find in the pointer to case three of the Hikigan Roku, 
the Blue Cliff Record. That is the koan that speaks about uh, Basso not feeling well. It is called sun-phased Buddha, moon-phased Buddha. So the pointer reads partially like this. The great way manifests itself naturally. It is limited by no fixed rules. But I must tell you that there is an advanced theme that you will have to learn. It presides over heaven and earth. However, if you try to guess it, you will be confused. This can be right. And that also can be right. It is extremely delicate. This cannot be right. And that also cannot be right. An unapproachable cliff face. How could you manage but stumble about here and there? When we forget about this, when we try to grasp it with our flat two-dimensional mind, we are limited to the tracks of the two-dimensional this and that world, right? The broken world. But learning that the broken world is not a disconnected world is of extreme importance. Going back to our feelings of two weeks, of four weeks, of a month ago, it might have truly felt this world is broken in many other ways than just broken. And we start to struggle with what is the influence that we have? What can we control? And if we can learn one thing, if we can gain one insight in this practice that is extremely pragmatic and that can help us with meeting what unfolds right now and here, then it has to do with what we can trust. With increasing age, with continuing to practice, what develops is a greater capacity to tolerate uncertainty. Now I'm really smiling inside because I experienced the limits of my capacity to tolerate an uncertainty over the last weekend. It is something truly human. And it is a base human 
tendency to root for this and to get very involved. It goes so far that I remove myself from such situations because I know as a human being, I have that tendency to become too serious with it. But I also trust that with the continuation of this practice, my capacity to tolerate uncertainty will grow. The great faith in the activity of Dharma is what keeps me going. The capacity to tolerate uncertainty might sound abstract, but when you sit in your zazen and your breath unfolds naturally, just as Manora Sanja said, when there is no joy, no sorrow, no inhalation, no exhalation, that is the manifestation of the trust in this activity of Dharma that will move on, that will change. that will shapeshift. And when we become as shapeshifters, as Manura Sanja, and we and our mind moves with that profound turning of the 10,000 things, wondrous, Life awaits us. I would like to ask you all to be aware that we in this universal mind transmit to the next generation of human beings these basic ways of meeting challenging times, these basic ways of always sticking with making that relationship unencumbered by our own or others' opinions on the human level. Because this is the basic canvas for wonderful new things to unfold, for having a fertile ground for us as fruit, giving new seed to future life and to further development of this society and of this world, of this human spirit. We can't be callous about it. We have all seen how sudden optimism changes even how the sunshine feels or the rain. So please, as fruits, spread your 
selves out. Give forward. And turn with the 10,000 things. This has been a Zen Study Society podcast. If you found it to be of interest, please consider making a donation by visiting zenstudies.org slash donate. Thank you for listening.